Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this lovely autumn day. And just would you give us your spirit this morning? Would you simply give us yourself? Lord, we just want to be with you, learn from you, and sit with you. So meet us now, we pray, oh Lord. Amen. So in a time when the church had lost itself, the church writ large had lost itself, it had become too enmeshed in society. It had calcified, it had gotten hardened. It was all about, you know, just form and rigid stuff. And it spiritually had become less than vibrant. It become about keeping its own authority, about keeping its own privilege, cozying up to power, making allowances for things it shouldn't make allowance for. It got stuck on itself. It thought it was coasting. It thought everything was fine. And what the church didn't see in that time back then, when that instance of that that happened so often was happening at that time, what they didn't see was that major ripples were coming in society. But God saw it, and so he raised up two particular individuals to prepare and to make change and to ready the church, even unawares of it itself, for all that change that was coming. One of them was St. Francis. St. Francis was basically a poet in everything that he did. He was sort of a a parable in, in action. He's sort of a personal living parable. He was kind of a poet. Five years before St. Francis died, God raised up or was born St. Thomas Aquinas, who, if you ask people today, if you ask Catholic scholars, if you had to pick one figure in the history of the church to be the doctor of the church, who would it be? They'd say, well, if I can only have one, I'll take St. Thomas Aquinas. The two of them, one after the other, gave the church writ large in that day the opportunity to grow in heart and in mind, Francis in heart, Thomas in mind, and to be ready for all the changes that were coming. So this morning, we're celebrating St. Francis. Now, just a quick word before we get rolling with this. If you're new to us, just let me say, please don't leave us over this. I, in the past, I've had people show up and we do Holy Michael and all angels, and then we do St. Francis, and we talk about angels, and then we bless animals, and I've had people be like, what is this? And they walk. I actually actually had a situation where a couple wanted to have lunch, and we had lunch, and we talked about this, and they they were actually angry that we blessed animals. And, and they was like, where do you get off doing this? And I said, hey, Adam named them in the, in the garden, right? Jesus is the second Adam. We're just eschatologically looking towards that moment where the lamb lays down with the lion and everybody's happy. And we're just sort of, you know, doing that in the spirit of Jesus. And I was like, thank you, Lord, for putting that in my mind. And I'm like, kaboom, you can't defeat that argument. It didn't help a bit. <laughs> BB off of concrete. So, you know, yeah, we're, we're in unusual space. I think this is the only saint that we celebrate in the calendar, the only one we give a Sunday to. But I don't want to apologize for it. I just want to say if this is new to you and you're like, what is going on? It'll get more normal next week. So <laughs> stay with us a little longer. Get a little, little longer platform. Anyway, what makes a saint? Why would you celebrate a saint in the first place? In a sense, 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus is a saint, right? Hallelujah, amen, saint, all of you. And so delighted for that. And that's true, and that's real. What do we mean when we say St. Francis? What's that all about? Peter Kreeft, the longtime Catholic philosopher at Boston College, author of umpteen books, I love the way he put it. He said, a, a, a saint is not a person who checked more boxes. A saint is not a person who tried harder, who just was better, who kept a bigger list, who did more stuff. A saint is a person whose whole heart has become so in love with God that in the same way that Jesus one day said to his disciples, my food is to do the will of the one who's, who sent me, that that has become internalized for them. And glory to God and the kingdom of God has become literally their spiritual emotional food. In some cases, that's even why saints have sometimes been able to fast so much because their appetites sort of get all wrapped up in this desire for the kingdom of God. Here's the genius thing about that. When you come into that place, then when you're serving God, you're also doing what you want to do. And then all the energy works in the same direction. And that's just different. So they're, they're in a sense, they're people who have just come into such a great love for God that then their whole being is working in that direction. And, you know, people just notice that, right? Even non-verbally, right? So much communication is non-verbal. It's just that there's just some energy there that happens. And those people, oftentimes, people look back and go, wow, that was different. And they say, yeah, gosh, maybe that was, you know, that person was really like in. And so they end up being saints, roughly the way it works. Certainly that's Francis. That would describe Francis. So Francis grew up in Assisi, as you know, and his father was a super wealthy local cloth merchant. Now, I love his father's name. You ready for this? Pietro di Bernadrone. That's his father. I say that's a good name, right? Like that, that rolls, that feels good. His mother was Lady Pica. She was believed to be French. I love that they say she was believed to be French. It's like, was she putting on airs or was she actually French? I mean, what is that all about? I don't know. During France's birth, his dad was away in France on a business trip. And it seems like maybe he never recovered. Maybe he never caught up because when Francis was a young man, he was really desperate to get approval from folks. Not sure he ever got it from dad. And this was during the time he wanted attention, he wanted honor. And this was during the time when the Italian city-states were always at these ridiculous little wars with each other. So Francis gets all kitted out, and they put him on the horse, and they're in the town square, and the troops are all going to ride out to the cheers of the people. And somehow Francis ends up upside down, hanging by the stirrups, and he's completely humiliated. Completely humiliated. And he says to himself, well, I've done it now. There's no woman in this town who's going to marry me, so I might as well become a saint. Almost, but not quite. Not quite that, but almost. He does realize this whole thing of just not what we assume, but that was Francis. Francis realized that there is a friend who sticks closer to a brother. 
We might say that Francis had discovered that Jesus' parables, the two especially that we heard this morning, are really and deeply true. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that a person found and hid. Then because of joy, joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he found a pearl of great value, he went out and sold everything and bought it. Francis got that in his heart. Not a, oh gosh, I don't want to have to do this, but I guess I do. But joy. Wow. Francis in his heart realized that Jesus is worth all of what we are. Not, okay, he said I have to give up all of who I am. Gosh, he, do, he, he drives a hard bargain. No, Francis said he's worth it. He's different. He's love. He's life. There's something else here. And Francis buys in deep in his heart. And because Francis buys in with the whole of his person, Francis then has three things that we're going to talk about quickly. He has freedom and two big loves. He has freedom and two big loves. Francis' freedom is amply, I think, demonstrated when he literally takes it all off and hands it to his dad, right? Is it not? He's free. He's free from what everybody thinks of me. He's free from playing the social game. He's free from all those things. And he is free because he will depend completely upon God. And that's why his order were mendicants, which is to say people without a, a true home, without a structured building and stuff, people who begged, people who went about helping the poor, because Francis had found a freedom of an immediate dependency on God, and he would not sell that freedom away. Nothing was enough for him to sell that freedom away. It's said that the only time he became angry with his followers, so it's a marker, the only time he became angry with his followers was when he had been to the Vatican and he came back from the Vatican and he found them building a church. It's a good word for us. No building, meeting outdoors. Francis found them building a church and he began to tear it down. He said, if we build this church, we will lose our freedom and our freedom is what keeps our hearts alive. A freedom and two loves. The first of those two loves was that in the name of Jesus, he had a love that reached to the people beyond the people who call on the name of Jesus. The fifth crusade was happening during Francis' lifetime. So it's like, you know, crusades are in gear. It's happening. It's a thing. There's a massive cultural conflict happening on the, the, the two sides of the Mediterranean borders of Europe. France is unofficially crossing the battlefields, went and had audience with the Grand Sultan. A story that, that doesn't get told enough. He went and had audience with the Grand Sultan, and apparently it was deeply meaningful on both sides of the conversation when they did this. He did this openly as the monk that he was. He did this openly in the name of Jesus as a follower of Jesus. 
But in that name of Jesus, motivated by that love at his core, he went to the other side and sat down. And they talked. His second great love was not only for all people, but for all of God's creation. Now, this is, this is great stuff, and you know that I love it, and it gets a lot of attention with Francis, and it, and it should. It hit me maybe a wonderful, simple way to think about this. So you guys know Cheryl is a big knitter. My wife, wonderful, incredible knitter. I had the sense, one of the few sensible moments in my life, when as a young man, I noticed that she, beautiful young woman, was a knitter. I had an Irish, Aaron Island's, Aaron Island Irish sweater, you know, those classic Irish fisherman sweaters. So I made it a point that anytime I knew that I was going to be around Cheryl, I wore that sweater. And sure enough, it finally worked. One day she's like, that's a nice sweater. I'm like, do you think so? Would you want to borrow it to look at it and how it's been made? She's like, oh, I would. Thank you. So Cheryl's knit me many sweaters, many hats, many mittens. I've got all kinds of stuff. It's an embarrassment of riches in my little wool chest. If Cheryl knits me an amazing sweater, all right, yes, it has a service to me. It keeps me warm. But it's also much more beautiful than it needs to be to keep me warm, right? It also has colors and designs and stuff thrown in just for beauty's sake. I treasure it. I do not spit on it. I don't grind it in mud. I don't stomp it. I don't cut it up. I don't sell it off because I need some money. I treasure it because it not only keeps me warm, but it also communicates Cheryl to me. Amen? Francis understood that God had done this in creating a beautiful world. A sweater has a practical use. Does wildness have a place in God's economy of things? If Justin sculpts a sculpture and gives it to me, it will be beautiful. It will speak deeply of things beyond words it probably won't keep me warm. So it doesn't have a practical use, so to speak. Am I still going to treasure it, protect it, guard, honor, delight in it? And will it also speak not only it's deeper than words nest, but also communicate the genius of Justin to me as well? God in his creation is communicating himself to us in ways that are deeper than we typically can say. So give me a minute here. If you want to think about Christian faith and the eco thing in general, and you're looking for one great thing to read, Pope Francis, 2015, writing in honor of his namesake, writing Laudato Si., you can find it for free online. It's, in my opinion, the single, if you want one great thing that puts it all together, that's it. And if, if you find it tr- difficult to read, encyclicals just read a little differently, but you just get in and you get a rhythm. Just read the introduction. 
the introduction alone, the first four pages or so, is well worth reading. Here's a little bit about what Pope Francis says about St. Francis. Francis helps us to see that an integral ecology calls for openness to categories which transcend the language of mathematics and biology and take us to the heart of what it is to be human. Just as happens when we fall in love with someone, whenever he would gaze at the sun, the moon, or the smallest of animals, he burst into song, drawing all other creatures into his praise. He communed with all creation, even preaching to the flowers, inviting them to praise the Lord just as if they were endowed with reason. His response to the world around him was so much more than intellectual appreciation or economic calculus. He's a poet. That's his heart. For to him, each and every creature was a sister united to him by bonds of affection. That's why he felt called to care for all that exists. What is more, St. Francis' faithful to Scripture invites us to see nature as a magnificent book in which God speaks to us and grants us a glimpse of his infinite beauty and goodness. Indeed, then, Pope Francis quotes Romans chapter 1, verse 20, his eternal power and divinity have been made known through his works since the creation of the world. And then last line for this moment, rather than a problem to be solved, the world, the creation, he means, is a joyful mystery to be contemplated with gladness and praise. So Francis had freedom. He had a freedom he would not sell. And he had at least two great loves. In the name of Jesus for people beyond the community of Jesus, if you will, and in the name of Jesus for the whole of all that God has made. So what makes a saint? What makes a saint is not the people who check the most on the box, you know, check the most boxes, who work the hardest, try the hardest, eat the less, whatever. A saint is the person who has grasped Jesus' parables, that we discover the kingdom of God, and with great joy our heart resonates, and we get it, that it's worth everything. They're the ones who their very desires are for the kingdom of God. So if I were you right now, I'd be like the guy who went to counseling. Guy goes to counseling and explains to the counselor, you know, why he's upset. And the counselor says to him, well, you know, I, I think you just ought to laugh more. And the guy pounds on the table and stomps the floor. He says, don't you dare tell me to laugh more. Tell me a joke. So we can tell you, you just need to love God and get Jesus' parable deep into yourself. And then, you know, that will become that energy and you're desiring the thing that is good and that's all different. How do you get there? Well, Francis had to be deeply honest with himself. Francis had an embarrassing situation that forced him to be deeply honest with himself. So a first step is to be deeply honest with ourselves before God. Francis had, well, he'd have to. He chose to. He wanted to make a statement. He chose to literally get naked, to literally do it, but at least figuratively, spiritually then, we have to 
bear ourselves before God and begin to be more honest and vulnerable with each other. Francis was determined to continue to depend in real ways on Jesus all the time. That's his freedom. And he acted on his love. He acted on it. So let's pray and just walk through those four. Invite you to be deeply honest to God in whatever way he's stirring you to be. invite you figuratively and spiritually to open up yourself, uncover, take away the, the, the guards and the shields, and think about how you might be called to appropriately do this more with others. Ask Jesus how to give you a step into freedom of depending on him. And then lean on his love. We thank you, Lord, and we bless you. Friends, let us continue in...